1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show nationwide. I feel like I should say I'm on your side, but that would be someone else's slogan. <laughs> the phone number is 877-97-ERIC. eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I saw someone on Twitter the other day say, I don't like him. He laughs at his own jokes. Yep, I do. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, The dam may be breaking. Possibly. I actually want to talk about inflation, but before I talk about inflation, this is worth noting. Josh Crash National Journal has pointed this out. On Monday, the Washington Post published an op-ed from three medical experts calling for an end-end. To mask mandates in schools. The Atlantic magazine joined on Tuesday with three more experts wanting an end to masks in school. And then NPR News, yes, NPR came out and also suggested maybe it's time to get rid of masks in schools. And now... And now it's Michelle Goldberg in the New York Times saying, hey, maybe it's time to get rid of masks in schools. Do you all know what my kids' school's policy is? Now, I, I, I need I need to paint a perspective for you on this. During the height of the pandemic, and for those of you who don't know, it, it is relevant here. My wife does have an incurable form of genetic lung cancer. We as a family, have had to be far more cautious than most. I myself have lung issues, but hers are the ones we really worry about. We've had to be very cautious, take a lot more precautions than you probably need to take. During the height of the pandemic, our kids' private school had a very firm policy in place, masks everywhere. When it was lunchtime, The kids had to stay in their small classrooms. They couldn't go into a big communal area. They could take off their masks and then would have to wash their hands and put their masks back on and wipe down their place. And they did this for a school year. And if there was an outbreak in a classroom, that whole class had to quarantine for two weeks and they did remote learning. Anyone who was uncomfortable going to school could be remote. And there was a time where they shut down parts of the school and they made everybody go remote for those few days because of quarantining. It was strictly patrolled. Everyone had to report. Every kid had to be out of, in a mask when they got out of the car. And every kid had to have their temperature checked before getting into the school. And that's how they spent the school year of the pandemic 2020 into uh, the end of that year. And this year, things have changed. That, by the way, was 2020 all the way into the end of the school year, 2021, May of 2021. This year, when they started back, no masks and no temperature checks. It's reverted to normalcy. There's not even a remote learning option anymore. And if you are sick, they don't quarantine your whole class. You and your family members have to be quarantined. They've gone down to five days with the CDC guidance. Now, five days of quarantine. Or if you get a negative test, you can come on back. It is normal. It's normal for the kids. It's normal for everyone. Uh, right before Christmas, they actually got more Christmas break they needed because there was an outbreak in the school, but it was not an outbreak of coronavirus. It was an outbreak of flu. So many people had gotten vaccinated. We didn't really have a big coronavirus outbreak. People hadn't gotten vaccinated for the flu, and there's a big flu outbreak. In a lot of schools, there's not. Uh, there, there's a big private school in Atlanta, Woodward. It's on the south side of Atlanta. It's probably the biggest private school. It might be one of the biggest in the nation. I mean, the, the, it's a it's a massive private school. And it is assuredly liberal and has assuredly taken to COVID hysteria. It's not just the public schools. It's the liberal private schools as well. There is a copious amount of data out there that masks are useless for kids. And all the scientific studies, as as pointed out in The Atlantic, as pointed out in the Washington Post, as pointed out on National Public Radio, as pointed out in the New York Times, the studies that purport to show masking is effective for kids don't actually show that. So normal people in normal places have gotten rid of masks, but progressives can't let go. At this point, it is more a signal of virtue and a signal of living by fear than a signal of living by any sort of common sense. So now, um, Michelle Goldberg writing in the New York times today says, look, we're, we're, we're ending the COVID surge is starting to collapse. The Omicron surge when it goes away, let's get rid of the masks. You know, a couple of things here. Um, Unless you're making the kids wear N95 masks in school now, uh, they're not really doing any good. The cloth masks and the disposable masks, they're not really effective at this point with the virus. They're not. There was a time when the alpha variant, the main dog alpha variant was out there, uh, that it was worth covering your mouth and and wearing a mask. But at this point, we know enough about uh, the particulate size that COVID travels in. And with Omicron, that's just not worth it. We should get rid of them on airlines for that matter. So whether you're a Woodward or a public school, a private school, a, a progressive hysteric, Masks aren't doing you any good at this point. What they do is they make you feel safe. And you know the danger of feeling safe? The danger of feeling safe is that you can actually lower your guard to the extent that you yourself get sick. I mean, how many of these progressive types who want everybody locked down and wear masks and wear hazmat suits have gotten COVID? Some of them have admitted it. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg got COVID. On the view, they get tested all the time. Hyper, hyper, hyper sensitive to the issue. Um, she's not in, in fantastic health anyway. She still got it. When you put on the mask, it makes you feel safe. And in feeling safe, you more likely than not are going to slip up. There's a problem. But nobody thinks about that. But the fact of the matter is, Maybe the dam is breaking when you have the New York Times, the Washington Post, National Public Radio, and the Atlantic all saying it's time to get masks out of school. Maybe some of these progressive school administrators will start to realize the masking is doing more harm to kids than good. It has more to do with making the adults feel like they're doing something than it actually has to do with actually doing something. Now, must move on to get to the topic I intended to talk about yesterday. And I didn't get to talk about it yesterday because we had too much other stuff. But I got to play you some audio. Jerome Powell of the Federal Reserve is starting to talk about inflation. Before I get to him, though, I've got to get to this NBC News report about inflation.
0: While at Juvenile Shop in California, new moms are having to plan early. Usually we would tell them to come in in their second trimester. And now we need to uh, tell them, so you need to be coming in and you're, you know, 12th week of pregnancy.
1: Uh why? Inflation. It's on the rise you gotta you got to start making plans early, particularly if you're having kids. Here's Steve Ratner. He used to be an economic advisor to Barack Obama.
0: The economy is roaring. You just saw what's going on with house prices, which is a principal target of interest rate policy to keep house prices from going up as fast as they've been going up. But we're trying to land a plane that is going at a very high speed at the moment. And the market is, as you, as you saw in the stock market numbers, quite nervous about that. There are going to be a lot of interest rate hikes, but the question is, are there going to be so many that contrary to what the chairman just said, it does affect the job market, it does affect growth, it does affect the overall economy. There are not a lot of examples of us trying to decelerate an economy with this much inflation this quickly without it having an effect on economic growth and even possibly ending in a recession.
1: You know, there's a problem here when the Federal Reserve in the past has raised interest rates, they've done so to get ahead of inflation. And they've tended to provide good guidance. Well, we're going to slightly raise rates again, or we're not going to raise rates. So the markets have been able to prepare. We're not in that situation now. We're actually in a situation where... Inflation has gotten already ahead of everybody. Here
0: is Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. In addition, some who would otherwise would be seeking work report that they are out of the labor force because of factors related to the pandemic, including caregiving needs and ongoing concerns about the virus. The current wave of the virus may well prolong these effects. Over time, there are good reasons to expect some further improvements in participation and employment. Inflation remains well above our longer-run goal of 2%. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have continued to contribute to elevated levels of inflation. In particular, bottlenecks and supply constraints are limiting how quickly production can respond to higher demand in the near term. These problems have been larger and longer-lasting than anticipated, exacerbated by waves of the virus. While the drivers of higher inflation have been predominantly connected to the dislocations caused by the pandemic, price increases have now spread to a broader range of goods and services. Wages have also risen briskly, and we are attentive to the risks that persistent real wage growth in excess of productivity could put upward pressure on inflation. Like most forecasters, we continue to expect inflation to decline over the course of the year. We understand that high inflation imposes significant hardship especially on those least able to meet the high higher costs of essentials like food housing and transportation in addition we believe that the best thing we can do to support continued labor market gains is to promote a long expansion and that will require price stability price stability one more clip from jerome powell just so you get a full picture of this inflation remains well above our longer run goal of two percent. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have continued to contribute to elevated levels of inflation. In particular, bottlenecks and supply constraints are limiting how quickly production can respond to higher demand in the near term. These problems have been larger and longer lasting than anticipated, exacerbated by waves of the virus. So the virus is to blame. We've
1: got all the supply chains. We've got all these issues and we're going to have continued inflation. Now, this is from the Wall Street Journal from Greg Ipp. If you were born after 1980, the monetary tightening the Fed said this week will begin in March will be unlike anything you've seen. This is for two reasons, both unsettling for markets. First, When the Fed began raising interest rates in 94, 99, 2004, and 2015, inflation was near or below its desired level, now formally enshrined as 2% inflation. The tightening was thus preemptive, intended to keep inflation from going up rather than to push it down. Today, inflation is too high. Even if December's 7% rate is adjusted for temporary effects such as higher oil prices and used car shortages, underlying inflation is well above 2%. With unemployment at 3.9% and falling, the economy is at maximum employment, putting upward pressure on inflation. This is normally where the Fed wants the economy to be when it's finished tightening, not when it starts. The Fed is thus so far behind the curve it needs to get interest rates up almost irrespective of what incoming data say about the economy or inflation. The second way this cycle will be different became clear on Wednesday, Wednesday. The Fed is not going to hold the market's hand by committing to a particular path of rate increases, and that's the most important one. We're going to be flying blind on interest rate hikes, by and large. The Fed is going to do what the Fed needs to do to stamp out inflation. And that's going to cause more market turmoil, and it's probably going to provoke a recession, and all of this is bad for Joe Biden and the Democrats, and they know it. But there's nothing at this point they can do to stop it. The economic situation at this point in this country is largely on autopilot with very few tweaks that can be done other than efficiencies in the supply chain, which the Biden administration has not been able to do. That means interest rates are going to start going up. So if you, this is, and this is actually an important point. If you need to refinance your house, if you've been sitting out, maybe thinking interest rates are going to go down further. You better go on and do your refinance now because we know for certain, it started in March, rates are going to go up. We just don't know how high, and that's going to be a problem for the economy. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, you can get help for your small business if you need to grow it. You need access to loans. We're talking big six figures, five five 500,000 and up and banks are telling you no. First Liberty might be able to help you get to, yes, they've been doing this since the early 90s. They make their own decisions, and they love helping small businesses. Uh, check them out, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. To the phones we go, DA, going to go to you next. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm a long-time listener, part of the day, and I agree with you part of the time. Excellent. I wanted to call and uh, offer some input on the Georgia state bill that you promoted a little while ago, House Bill 999. Uh-huh. And there's a couple of holes in it.
0: Um, a lot of people will support "quote unquote school choice." Most people here in Georgia are not going to support the contents of the bill that allow direct payments from the state to accounts set up for illegal alien students to be distributed by illegal alien parents who are also give it an opportunity to be uh, have oversight in
1: the compliance for the language of this law. So it needs a lot of tweaks. I hope you'll include that the next time you pitch it. Yeah, well, you know, I suspect through the committee process, they will work those uh, particular issues out. Um, I'm fairly certain the Republicans aren't going to want to fund illegal aliens going into private school, but it's definitely going to be one of those issues they're going to have to vet in the committee process. But the fact that they're beginning the process and have built a bipartisan coalition, uh, all of us have our pet peeves and, and we should work through the committee process to improve the legislation. There's an amendment process. The bill just dropped, so it's new. It's going to be vetted, Uh, but uh, should we work to improve the bill as opposed to say, well, it's got this thing in it I don't like. Let's kill it. No. Improve it. Amend it. Fix it. I think every Republican nationwide should be advancing school choice in their states, wherever they are. And you know the hysterics are going to come out. And, And one of the things they'll say is, Well, if you let your kids go to private school, they're going to regulate the private school. Do you really want the state to regulate your private school? Well, you know, your private school can opt out. But why should you deny a kid an opportunity for a better education in someone's private school who's willing? Just because your school isn't because of the restrictions that may or may not hypothetically at a future time be put in. Why not give kids a chance? Why be selfish about this? And the real selfishness in particular here is the Democrats who want to trap poor kids in failing schools. That's the problem. Doug Ducey in Arizona had a great line in his State of the State address uh, 50 years ago. It was people standing in front of the schoolhouse doors telling minority students you're not allowed in. And now it's progressive activists and teachers union standing in front of the schoolhouse doors telling them they're not allowed out. Don't be one of the people who says these kids aren't allowed out because you don't want them in your school. We should want these kids to have better education long-term. The better their education is, the less likely they're going to be a stressor on the social safety net, so give them the best education they can so they can get a good job and be a productive member of society instead of precluding them from opportunities by forcing them to stay in a failing private or failing public school. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Experts are upset about uh, David Leonhardt. I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, Leonhardt, at the New York Times. This one's kind of funny to me. You know, there, there really are two Americas. Um, you and I, if you live in a Republican state, your life is probably mostly normal. You know, there, there's some polling out there that I find uh, really interesting here. According to uh, that KFF COVID-19 vaccine monitor, they, they've done some polling. I don't know who this uh, group is, but half of Democrats, 51%, say the pandemic is the top issue facing the country. 13% say it's inflation. For Republicans, 44% say it's inflation. 19% say it's the pandemic. Now, we get to this point because we are essentially two different nations right now uh, in terms of COVID-19 policy. So, for example, if I, I, I like to go to Nevada, and I like to go to Las Vegas, I like to go shoot guns in the desert one day i'm going to get good at golf i'm starting to take lessons you know golf is my excuse to to day drink maybe i'm not supposed to say that on right i i you go go have a few nice drinks on the golf course with your friends and smoke a few cigars and you don't care about the golf game you're just there for camaraderie with your friends been doing that since law school i've never gotten good at golf but my wife got me lessons i got fancy pxg golf clubs i'm getting lessons I intend to not suck at golf. I mean, I won't be great, but I intend to not suck at golf. And so I want to go to Las Vegas one day and play one of those fancy golf courses. But when you go to Las Vegas right now, the moment you get into the airport to hit there, you got to put on your mask. And when you get to Las Vegas, you can't take off your mask. If you're in a ride share like Uber or Lyft, you got to wear the mask. If you're walking through the hotel, you got to wear the mask. In Washington, D.C. right now, you got to show proof of vaccine. It really is fascinating. There are parts of this country where if you want to eat, you got to show your driver's license, photo, and, and your vaccine card. But if you want to vote, they expect you to be given a pass. In Georgia, where I am, I don't wear a mask unless someone asks me to wear a mask. In my office, they want you to wear a mask. If I'm down the hall and back area where I am, I don't put the mask on. No one back there does. It's all for show at this point anyway. The the data really doesn't back it up. Uh, If I'm roaming around Atlanta, I don't wear a mask. If you go into a Whole Foods, however, all the good progressives, they're wearing their masks. My son, I introduced him to Louis Grizzard. For those of you who don't know who Louis Grizzard is. Lewis Grizzard is one of the greatest comedians ever, and he had a, a column at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and he did this bit about uh, speaking Yankee that he, he talked about how, have you ever noticed you get all these actors from Hollywood, and you try to get them to speak Southern, and, and they they sound like Falkhorn leghorn. They do the bit, I do declare, I am suddenly a Southern speaker. Talks about the old movie Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, and, and how uh, Dan Aykroyd tries to be a Southerner. Says he's going to be the first Southerner to do an impression of a, of a Northerner. And his impression is, I think I like a pop. My son has been walking around the house. He clenches his butt up just like a Yankee and says, I, I think I want some pop. <laughs> That's a Louis Grizzard bit he heard. He walks around the house. Now, my kid only drinks water. He doesn't, doesn't even drink milk. He just drinks water which is great. Uh, he's, I think I want some pop. And in, in states that talk like that, they got, uh, you got to mask up everywhere you go. You got to show your vaccine card and a photo ID to make sure you've, you, you're you there. Uh, in places that actually, uh, you go to a grocery store with a million different soft drink varieties and you say, I like a Coca-Cola. You, you just, you know, you live your life. We, we live in two separate worlds and the pandemic has further divided those worlds. It, it's actually fascinating to see the divide and now there's this with uh, david Leonhardt at the new york times over this is from politico over the last few months a long simmering critical conversation among public health experts About Leonhardt's take and his outsized influence has become audible, and we don't just mean on Twitter. Notable doctors and scientists have written to the Times individually or in groups to poke holes in Leonhardt's coverage of the pandemic. They say he cherry-picks sources and data, giving too much weight to people who may have medical expertise, but not on infectious disease. And he argues strenuously for opening schools, but downplays the COVID risk to kids, as well as their role in spreading the virus. But but, but we know the bulk of the data there. Here's what's going on. There are a group of experts out there who have always been on the back burner, because we've never had a global pandemic. Well, I shouldn't say we've never had. We haven't had a global pandemic in modern media times. I mean, the H1N1, yeah, it was something, but it didn't turn out to be anything like COVID. But they, to the extent it was one, they got a taste of fame. They got a taste of being on TV. You know, being on TV, it can, it's, it can be alluring. It can be intriguing. I remember one time. I was on Fox News. It was one of the first times I'd ever been invited to be on Sean Hannity's show on Fox. And I went on Sean Hannity, and I went back to the – there's a hotel right around the corner from Fox called The Muse. Nice hotel. Great bar across the street from it. And I was done with Hannity's show, wiped off the makeup. Instead of going straight back to the hotel, you know, they'd send you a car service literally a block away. and be like, I don't need a car service. I, I know how to walk. I don't understand the people who want a car service to go one block. I'd walk. And so I, I I stopped in this this pub. This bar is an Irish pub. I sat at the bar, and my gosh, that bar, because it's right by Fox. They were fairly conservative Irish guys. They had on the TV, and they're like, you were just on with Sean Hannity. Yes, I was, and they started buying me drinks. It was great. It's alluring. Now, I'll tell you the downside if you're in a situation like me is you walk through the airport, they yell at you. I've been yelling. Y'all, know y'all. I say this and you think I'm joking. I'm serious. The number of times I've been yelled at while peeing in the Hartsfield-Jackson two-dead mayor international airport in Atlanta, Georgia, is absurd. I've been yelled at while peeing in a Chick-fil-A. Most people can't say that. And the Jesus chicken sandwich and they yell at you while you're peeing, some crotchety old man upset with me. But, you get on TV and people start recognizing you. It, it, it can, it can do something to you. It, it really can. And I, I admit this myself having gone through it. It's a pretty big deal, particularly when you're regularly on Fox. I don't de- do TV as much as I used to. I don't like to travel as much. I don't get asked as much because I'm one of those unpredictable conservatives. You can't really put me in a box and a TV. They really want you to be in a box. You're either all one way or all the other. Someone who's of one way but may have some opinions that don't necessarily ji haw with their friends, yeah, you don't get on as much. But it's alluring. It's intriguing. Man, I used to do meet the press all the time. Or even Bill Maher's show. I I hadn't done Bill Maher's show in a while um, and and will a couple of times this year on HBO. And I'll never forget, you're in the airport in Los Angeles flying home and people come up to you. You're like, I saw you on Bill Maher. Now, you know, you know, if they saw you on Bill Maher's show, they're of the left. But I'd be sitting in the Delta Sky Club waiting to fly back to Atlanta from being on Bill Maher's show. They'd come up to me. And they're just, oh, yeah. I, I disagree with you, but you were so nice. You did, you, you represented your side so well. You just seemed like a nice person. It's always the, it's always the angry conservatives who yell at you while you're peeing. The progressives that they, they, they want to just come up and say they saw you. They disagree with everything, but they saw you. Occasionally, you get the angry progressive, particularly the social progressives. They're the nastiest. The ones who disagree with you on social issues, my gosh, the, the, the kid-killing kind, oh boy, if they're willing to kill a baby, you know they're going to be nasty to you if they see you and you've talked about how abortion is wrong. But nonetheless... You get a big head about being on TV sometimes. You can. You can. You you do it regularly. Now you got these experts. you got Tony Fauci. He's out all the time. Have you seen pictures of Tony Fauci's office? Tony Fauci has a portrait of Tony Fauci on his wall. Tony Fauci has a Tony Fauci bobblehead on his desk. Tony Fauci has framed magazine covers that feature Tony Fauci on his wall. Tony Fauci loves Tony Fauci. And these other experts do, too. They're in charge. They're in control. They love it. They love the fame. They love the exposure. They love being treated seriously on TV. They love the call from CNN. What? You're not just going with Gupta? You want me on to talk about it because it's in my wheelhouse? I've waited my whole life for this global pandemic, and they can't let it go. Because it's made them celebrities; they're householding. People follow them on Instagram now. And if we all start going back to normal, they matter just a little bit less. It's not that they want to control you. Now, some some do. Some of the healthcare people they do, but really, it's never been about control per se. It's been about. They said we would get over the pandemic, we would end COVID, and the vaccines would keep us from getting sick. And it's not. They can't admit their failure. They can't admit their failure because they've been on TV, and people love them. People. They gave them hope. We would beat this thing. The vaccines would work. And now here comes people like David Lionheart in the New York Times. It's their publication. It's the publication that made them. And They've handed over the morning newsletter to David Lionheart. A Pulitzer Prize winning economic reporter, and he's saying, Yeah, I can read the stats and the data. It's time to move on. It's time to get it, it, it's time to move past the virus. It's time to reopen. The vaccines working. Listen, David Leonard, he's been one of the big champions of the vaccine's working. He's been one of the champions to say, you know, if you get the vaccine and then you get COVID, you're probably gonna be overwhelmingly okay. So still go live your life. Treat it like a cold or the flu can't have that they can't do that because they need to be on tv now it's a drug they don't like that this guy who's not in an an expert in their field is able to read the studies and he's got a background in economics and, and statistics and he can look and he can say you know It's really not that bad. Oh, but it's bad. Oh, people are getting the virus still. We got to stop. We told them we would get rid of the virus, and they're not. Leonhardt, David Leonhardt of the New York Times, is calling this COVID alarmism the people who can't let it go. And he's right. We can be concerned, but we don't have to live in fear anymore. And that someone at the New York Times has the audacity to say this. Someone at the New York Times has the audacity to say, get on out there. Live your life. Get the masks off the kids. I mean, we've got the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Atlantic, National Public Radio, and so much more now saying you don't need to have kids in masks. And you have the experts. And, oh, yes, we do. Put me on television and I'll tell you why. No. It's time to move on. the, the David Leonard though he's doing a a, a service to people uh, on the left. Because people on the left, they're hung up on the pandemic. They're hung up on the pandemic because their leaders are. You go to a left-leaning state right now, and you would think the world is still coming to an end. It is apocalypse now in New York and Washington, in Los Angeles and elsewhere. You go to Georgia, you go to Florida, you go to Texas, you go to Mississippi, you go to Oklahoma, you go to even Ohio, places like that. and, And life has gone on. We are so over this virus. Yes, is it a thing? Yes. Do some of us have to be cautious? Yes. My wife's got cancer, lung cancer. i got to be cautious. But I don't have to impose my assessment of risk on you. And the left wants to impose their risk assessment on the rest of us. And they cannot abide that someone in the New York Times is saying, it's time to move on, time to give up the masks, time to get out there, get the vaccine, and move on. we got enough people vaccinated now and enough people with. (gasps) We're not allowed to say it. Natural immunity. Natural immunity. It's time to move forward. But if we do, these guys, they'll stop getting the invites on TV. So they might as well keep crying wolf. Keep seeing. If CNN will let them come on instead of just falling back to Gupta all the time. Sanjay Gupta, good guy. Don't always agree with him. But hey, when you can get Tony Fauci, when you can get some expert on the virus, you don't need Sanjay to come on. And they like that right now. And that might be changing, so get ready for them to scream even louder. The phone number, I want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I got an email that I was giving the number to fast. So there, I gave it to you slow. Now, let's go to the phones. Michael, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Love you. Love your show, and I work for Delta, so I love that you fly Delta. But I got a quick question for you. Yesterday's segment on the senators and the governor's role in the, the polls. Uh-huh. Do you think that Herschel's polls went up when UGA won the championship? <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about it, but maybe so. Um, I, you know that that could be. Although I got to tell you, the the internal polling I've seen for a while. Has been pretty consistent that he's over eighty percent. Now that may be why he's suddenly beating uh, Warnock. I, I don't know, but can, can I just, Michael, <laughs> why, why, why you bring up this subject? I just for now for those of you in Oregon on my new station out there, K Y K K, y'all just y'all just going to bear with me for a minute. I, I feel like something bad is about to happen here because we've won the World Series, we've won the college football national yeah. championship. I just feel like the bottom's got to drop out now. Is that wrong for me to think that? <laughs>
0: No, it's
1: very, very, very scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just I, I'm hoping for good. maybe you know if, if like the if the Falcons were to like somehow get into the Super Bowl all of a sudden, this really could be the end of the world. Uh, we're we're, actually, yeah. we're spared by the Falcons. I hope they I hope they recruit Aaron Rodgers. Huh. All right, Michael, thank you for that. I, you know I I'm not sure on the on the wall if Herschel Walker. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, so Herschel Walker, football star. Georgians love him for his days at the University of Georgia, went on to the NFL, is now going to run for the United States Senate. He went, moved to Texas, has moved back at President Trump's behest to run against Raphael Warnock, uh, the, the hyper-progressive partisan senator who wants to kill the filibuster. And Walker is at like 81%, and that's low. Some polls have him higher than that. Like the lowest is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They got him at 81% support in the primary. But not only that, the Quinnipiac poll has come out in Georgia and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll, both done with the University of Georgia. And they both have Herschel Walker beating Raphael Warnock. Now, the Democrats have not yet had an opportunity to run their opposition campaign. And, oh, by God, it's going to be the nastiest in the nation. The Democrats are going to destroy Herschel Walker as best they can, which is one reason I think the Republicans should start throwing all the dirt at Herschel Walker now. Throw it all at him. You're not going to beat him, but throw everything you've got at him. Throw the kitchen sink at him. Go get somebody else's kitchen sink and throw at him. Do it all. Why? Not to beat him. You're not going to beat him. It's so they can say, well, it's old news now. Let's move on. I really, is is Warnock really, Raphael Warnock in Georgia tried to run over, actually ran over his wife. Is he going to try to do the, Herschel Walker's wife said at one point he tried to kill her with a gun. And now she's come out in his defense. He was struggling with mental health issues. He got help. Uh, so it's Warnock really going to do the, you tried to shoot your wife? Because Walker can really do, you actually ran over your wife. that would be one hell of a campaign response, wouldn't it? Oh, I was just telling somebody in the last commercial break, I am so ready to get through the primary, though. Uh, Let's get Kemp and Walker in Georgia into the general, and, and let's do this thing. Let's take back the Senate, and let's hold the governor's mansion, and let's make sure Stacey Abrams' political career is out to pasture after losing a second time. It's 2022, and guess what? Nothing still makes sense. The whole world seems to be going crazy right now, and banks have gotten really skittish at helping small businesses. They're perfectly happy to help the giant businesses. But what about you? You're a small business. you got to buy a building or build a building, or you need a big loan for a fleet of vehicles to grow your business, and the banks are giving you a hard time. Check out my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you nationwide, wherever you are. If you're a small business and you need access to loans, let's say 500000 and up, First Liberty can do it. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They're committed Christians, and they're great business people, and they are committed to small businesses. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. They want to help you get to yes, where the big banks are saying no. Nationwide, they can help you if you're a small business. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com.